For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up again. If two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though he can, one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We're calling this series Unhealthy Hashtags. Because how many knows that conventional wisdom on social media is anything but wisdom most of the time? And so for a few moments, I want to talk about the need for community on Friends Sunday, the need for community. And I want to hone in on the unhealthy hashtag that we call hashtag you do you. You do you. Anybody heard that hashtag? Hashtag you do you. If you haven't, You'll see it's mentioned over at least a million times on Instagram. So pray over this message with me and let's believe that God's going to do something great today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what we feel in this place. God, I thank you for the spirit of unity that is already here. For God, we are gathered today not in the name of a sports team, not in the name, God, of, of a hobby or, or God of, of a, a social issue. But we are gathered today in the name of Jesus. And where two or three are gathered together in your name, you are in the midst of us. And so today, I pray that your presence would be here for the remainder of this service. Touch me, God, so that I can preach your word as you've called me to do so. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. High five your neighbor. It is a friend Sunday. You might as well do that. Come on, high five your other neighbor. And you can be seated. Amen. I heard like four high fives, and I'm pretty sure there's more than that here, and that's fine. I'm going to let, that's just a clap. I can tell the difference. You're not, you're not pulling the wool over my eyes today. Today, we're tackling the unhealthy hashtag, as I said before, of hashtag you do you. Other, other related hashtags might include, but are not, uh, but not limited to, hashtag haters going to hate. Hashtag fake friends. Hashtag self-love. Hashtag choose you. Girl, I don't know why I had to add girl to the end of it. All of these hashtags are very much common on social media. But we understand that the fact of the matter is they are in opposition with the important value of community. And if accepted as truth, here's what can happen. We will effectively kill intimacy and friendships. Journalist William Sapphire coined a word for these self-justifying phrases and hashtags, and he called them tato phrases, which is adapted from the Greek word for redundant. Tato phrases mean something that repeats itself. Here's what he argued. You ready? He argued that using these phrases kills logic and reasoning. His primary example phrase was this. It is what it is. Anybody ever said that? It is what it is. You might have said that today on the way to church when you looked in the mirror. I know I have. It is what it is. His point was simple. It is what it is and other Tato phrases effectively in the discussion so that we have to stop and move on without actually analyzing any further. Hashtag you do you gives a person the ability to continue on selfishly 
without any need to justify their own actions, painting everyone around them that might disagree with them or might hold them accountable as haters. You're just a hater. And you know what haters are going to do. These Tato phrases are often perpetuated in our music and in our pop culture, and as we've said it on social media. The one and the only Taylor Swift is a good example because she testifies that not only are haters going to hate, but they're actually going to hate, hate, hate. The saved people didn't know what I was talking about. You see, when you closely, or when you classify, rather, everyone that disagrees with you as a hater, you justify the you-do-you philosophy with Tato phrases, and you absolve yourself from the really difficult process of accountability. Whenever everybody around you that disagrees with you is just a hater, let me just tell you what's going to happen. You're going to end up alone. You're going to isolate yourself and the people that you surround yourself, which we call yes men, all they do is say yes. When times get tough, guess what's going to happen? They're not going to be there because all they do is affirm when times are good, but they often run when times are bad. And that's exactly what has happened to a generation that has adopted this you-do-you unhealthy hashtag mentality. In fact, statistics show us that this generation is experiencing an epidemic of loneliness despite all of our connections. According to psychologists, there are two primary types of loneliness that are experienced by individuals. First is existential loneliness, which takes place when someone wonders their meaningfulness or the, the, the point of their existence in the grand scheme of all that life is. Whenever they ponder the time and they ponder uh, the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, they wonder, why is it that I even exist? Existential loneliness is an inevitable part of life. The second one is the one that we often think of when we think of loneliness. We think of social loneliness, which is being isolated from others that are around us. Both can be detrimental if they are experienced over long periods of time. In fact, doctors say this. Check this out. A number of unfavorable outcomes have been linked to loneliness. In addition to its association with depressive symptoms and other forms of mental illness, loneliness is a risk factor for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, arthritis, among other diseases. Lonely people are twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's disease, research suggests. The state of chronic loneliness may also trigger adverse psychological responses such as increased production of stress hormones, hinder sleep, and result in weakened immunity. Mm. I'm telling you, you weren't designed to be alone. You weren't made to be alone. I remember when my little boy was a little bit younger. He's five years old now. But I laid him down to go to sleep and I tucked him in. And, and within a, an hour or two, I heard him calling out my name. He said, Daddy, Daddy. And you know what you do as a parent. You roll your eyes and you get up off the couch. And you go in there. And I remember I took my little boy and I lifted his arm up and I patted him on the head. And I was ready to get back, uh, you know, to, I'm sure I was deep in study. There was no way I was watching any kind of media or anything like that. I was probably in prayer or something. 
just wanted to get back to that prayer meeting. And so I lifted his arm up and I put a stuffed animal underneath his arm. And, and as I was walking out of the room, he stopped me and he said, no, daddy. He said, I need a real person. You know what I did? I turned around and I said, you get over here, boy. I need a real person. I need something to hold that's not full of fluff. I need something more than a stuffed animal or, or a blanket of security here. I need somebody with me. I need a real person. You see, people have put their, in their lives all of these fluffy things to to try to fulfill these voids of loneliness. They think that another dollar amount is going to fulfill it, but it won't. They think that another vehicle or another home will fulfill it, but it won't. They think another promotion or some more applause or a pat on the back will fulfill it, but it won't fulfill it. All of those things have their place and their time in our lives, but they do not fulfill the need for one another. They do not answer the question of loneliness. They don't do it. I need a real person. I need somebody that I can talk to and be around. Here's the good news this afternoon. I think that I can help us with both types of loneliness by pointing back to the scripture and pulling out the principles. First, that first type of loneliness. Let's start there. Existential loneliness. Maybe you walked in today and you're wondering, why do I even exist? Every time I try to ponder my own existence, I can't seem to find my own value. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It says this. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. That empty feeling on the inside of you is there by design so that we would understand that nothing can touch me like a walk with God, like being in the presence of God. Can I tell you right now, there is a deep yearning within every individual that only God himself can answer. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and I really like it. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Come on, has anybody ever felt that? Where, and I'm not talking about somebody complaining. I'm not talking about somebody who's, who's contemplating their value. I'm just saying there are moments where you go, God, this world cannot satisfy me. And I know the answer is you and you alone. You set eternity in my heart and nothing has ever filled that void except a relationship and a connection with you. God put that empty feeling on the inside of you. I know that seems counterintuitive that I would preach today that God placed an empty feeling on the, on the inside of you, but that's absolutely what he did. He placed the empty feeling on the inside of you because he understood that if anything would fulfill it, you would chase after those things. But he knew that the God-sized void would be the thing that would continually drive you to get into his presence, to get into his presence. God put that empty feeling on the inside of you just like he did with Adam. In fact, we understand that the very first man that was created, Adam, he was created for this single purpose, worship. To worship God. Worship to God is the supreme reason that you and I exist today. Worship to God is the supreme reason that we exist today. And what we have to understand is that emptiness is the result of misguided worship. Emptiness is the result of misguided worship. 
Let me read from the scripture. This is what the apostle Paul wrote is powerful. He said this in Romans 1 verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, we're talking about existential loneliness. Through through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Paul goes on to say this. Yes, they knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. When you try to fill the void with anything besides God to answer the question of existential loneliness, what ends up happening is you end up in darkness and confusion. Let me say it like this. Darkness and confusion are the result of a life whose worship has become misguided. If you feel like today, I'm in darkness, I'm confused, I can't seem to get to God, I would ask you for a moment to take a look at your life and see where your worship is pointing you. Because if it's pointing you towards hobbies, if it's pointing you towards jobs, if it's pointing you towards money or finances or, or any of the other things, not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but if that's where my worship is guiding me, what will end up in my life is darkness and confusion. And so in this room today, I want to start by telling someone there is no answer outside of Jesus himself. There is no answer outside of a relationship with him. I'm going to talk about community with one another here in a moment, but I feel like I need to remind somebody that the primary thing in your life and in my life is I've got to know Christ. I've got to know God for myself. I've got to have a relationship that is enriching me and changing me and forming me before anything else. This is what 1 Corinthians 1 and 9 says, For God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Christ Jesus. That word fellowship is synonymous with the word communion in the Greek. You have to have communion with God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but let me just give you a brief explanation of communion and fellowship. It implies this idea that I'm going to sit down at a table and I'm going to have time with God. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have one-on-one time with Him. In fact, when you look it up in the Greek, here are a few meanings for it. Sharing common interests, desires, and motivations. Fellowship requires that time, that there be time spent with another communicating, caring for, and fostering relationship. That's what communion looks like. I'm caring for something. I'm fostering something. So here's the big question for you and I today, and I want you to hear me. Does that describe the way that you're treating your relationship with God? Communicating, caring for, and fostering. Or is it today that when you hear those words, you say, that doesn't sound anything like my relationship with God. I can't remember the last time I prayed. I can't remember the last time that I asked God for anything. I can't remember. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I don't even really know how to pray. Well, then here would be my bet, my guess, would be that your life is probably shrouded in darkness and confusion right now. Because something is garnering your worship. And if it's not God, it's something else. 
But let me give you the good news. There is an invitation from God himself today that says you can put down every other thing that you have picked up and you can seek me first today. And you don't have to wait a week or a month. You don't have to prove yourself for six months. But today you can have a touch of my presence that will change you forever. In this place today, there is a God who is wanting to restore and renew and refresh somebody. Maybe you've been in darkness and confusion. Can I tell you, you've been there long enough. It's time to come out of that and say, God, I'm ready for a relationship with you again. Restore me and renew me. Maybe it's your first time that you've given your life to him. Do that today. And I'm telling you, God will rush in. He will move in your life. He will touch you right where you're at. You say, but I've still got the cigarette smoke in the drug smell on my clothes. That's okay. I don't care how how long ago or how close it was that you did that last thing that you're ashamed of. God will meet you right here, right now. And He will answer the question of loneliness. Can I just tell you, this is what I feel to tell somebody that you walked in today and you're like, when is this guy going to finally talk about my relationship with my family and my friends? He keeps talking about my relationship with God. Listen to me. God is going to fix some of the, uh, the horizontal relationships in your life. These relationships. My relationship with my wife. My relationship with my friends. I've got bitterness. But before he can fix these relationships, you've got to maintain this relationship. Because before a horizontal relationship is fixed, God wants you to prioritize the vertical relationship, which is above anything. And when you get connected to God, what's going to happen is you're going to begin to change. Somebody around you that has frustrated you, that you feel like you've got bitterness and unforgiveness towards, and you think, I don't know how I'm going to let that go until they change. God says you can't control them, but if you'll get connected to me, you'll change. And I'll start fixing some of these relationships, but you've got to get it right with me. And so his arms are wide open today, and there is an invitation. He's going to move in somebody's life today. In fact, there's a challenge in this house, and I I feel like I should do this right now. Ushers, if you've got those cards, I want you to start handing those cards out right now, and I want you to do it quick. I'm talking rapid fire. You're about to have a card put in your hand. That is so fast, Jackson, I didn't even see him. He's already finished. He's like, you want to see me hand those cards out? You want to see me do it again? These cards that you have in your hand right now, they say this on the front of them. Try Five, and I'm issuing a challenge to people in this room right now. Whether you're a member or a guest, I want you to hear me. This is important. I believe that this is going to enrich, and you're going to have enrich your life, and you're going to have value added to your life if you'll hear me. This try five card is a challenge issued to member and guest alike that if for five weeks in a row you will dedicate yourself to coming to church, to being at Stello Church. Here's what I know from experience is that when I begin to change my own habits and when I begin to cultivate my relationship with God, because if you weren't serious about your relationship with God or if you didn't, if you didn't have uh, uh, the conviction of the Spirit working in your life, you would not be here. And there's some people that come to church and they think, well, uh, God's done with me. If God was done with you, you would not be here right now. Can I just tell you, you've not committed some, uh, some sin that God can't forgive. If that was the case... You would not be here. You'd be dead. But God is so desirous to have you. He wants to be in communion with you. And do you know, you say, man, I just feel like this is a little simple. You better believe it's simple. 
oftentimes the things that make the greatest and most, most profound impact in our lives are the simple things. So why do we struggle to do them? I can tell you caloric intake is pretty simple. So what is that? How many calories you eat per day every time you pick something up. Do you know that most 90% of the time you can flip that over and it tells you exactly how many calories are in it. It tells you how many fat grams are in it. tells you how many carbs are in it. tells you how many protein grams are in it. And I have the opportunity to simply read how many calories are in that and then compare that to how hard I work that day. And if I burn more calories than I eat, I lose weight. That's pretty simple. So why do I have such a hard time doing that? It's simple, but how many knows it's difficult? Because here's what I know. Next Saturday is going to roll around. You got that card in your pocket. You're going to see it all week and go, that's right. I'm just going to give it five weeks. I'm going to see if I start prioritizing this relationship with God, if I start going to church, if everything else changes. Next Saturday rolls around, and guess what? There's going to be something that makes that simple step more complex than it should have been. Am I right? But I want to challenge somebody in this room to take this challenge that's in your hand that we're calling Try Five, and I want you to prioritize the house of God. Now listen, some of you might have a vacation that's planned. Don't let that derail you. Go on the vacation or whatever. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to be uh, some sort of tyrant here, but what I am trying to do is, is get something within us instilled that says, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of effort on my part to put my relationship with God first, because I've got to to do more than just hear about it, think about it, or talk about it. I've got to actually do something that gets me closer to him. And so take that card. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold that card in your hand. And before I move forward, I want us to pray over what I believe God is going to do through this. God, right now, I ask you, Jesus, to work in lives. I pray that, Lord, this would not be a gimmick. I pray that, God, this would be something that people take seriously. And they say, okay, God, I want to prioritize you above any anything else. And part of that is I'm committing to the local church. I'm going to be there to hear your word. I'm going to be there, God, to get in community with others. God, one of the reasons that we struggle is because we get alone. And I pray that, Lord, we would use the church as a lifeline to get close to you. I pray that right now you would challenge a member in this church, God, that is missing too often to say, I'm committing. I'm committing to be a, being a part of teams. I'm committing, God, to being faithful in this season. I'm going to press forward, God. And here's what I believe. I believe that, God, you're going to start changing lives as we put forth effort. I believe that, God, as our relationship with you is enriched and gets better, that our relationship with others, God, are going to be enriched and get better as well. I pray for spiritual breakthrough in somebody's life. I pray that you would touch them today as they make this commitment. If you believe he's going to do it, would you put your hands together and give God praise? Now let's talk about the second type of loneliness, social loneliness. And can I just say it like this? You better buckle up because the Bible has a lot to say about social loneliness. Uh, when we look at this, this topic of social loneliness, not only does the Bible have a lot to say, but so does science and research. In fact, I read this. I want to read it to you. The Institute for Family Studies reports that there's a growing concern that young adults today are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness, social isolation, 
and disconnection. I think we would all agree that we've seen this among our young adults and our students. Delayed, a lot of blame is being placed on social media or more recently, the pandemic. Delayed family formation is likely another factor. Young adults are marrying later than they once did. But what if, the article says, what if Gen Z is lonelier today not simply because of how much time they spend on social media or because they're single. What if young adults today are lonelier because of how they were raised? Ooh. I read that and I thought, man, tell me more. Americans who belong to Gen Z, the article goes on to say, which are people born between 97 and 2012, are far more likely to say that they were lonely growing up. A majority, 56% of Gen Zers report that they felt lonely at least once or twice a month during their childhood. In contrast, only about one in four, 24% of baby boomers say they felt lonely this often as children growing up. The bottom line of the article can be summed up like this. Lonely parents are raising even lonelier children. You see, this epidemic of loneliness is a mental health issue. We're in a mental health series. That's why we're talking about this Today, the fact of the matter is this is a society-wide mental health crisis that we're in. In fact, this week, uh, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which I know that sounds like arbitrary, but they're not arbitrary. They actually uh, have a lot of say in the way that doctors do business in the United States. Check this out. This is so profound and important. They announced recommendations that doctors screen all patients under the age of 65. All patients, that includes your children, all patients under the, 60, under the age of 65 for anxiety. They justify this recommendation by pointing to the increased uh, issues in our social pressure and our political pressure and, of course, the pandemic. But the fact of the matter is one thing that is driving anxiety and depression forward at an unprecedented rate is loneliness. People feel like nobody's there. People feel like nobody's there for them. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if I were to have you raise your hand and say, how many in here in the last month have felt profoundly lonely? I would, be, I would not be surprised by the hands that were raised. Here's what we know. The reason this is is because this is a community-wide issue. But what if I told you that as ironic as it may sound, the answer to this community issue is the community itself. I'm not referring to a socialized government. I'm not referring to a welfare system or a program or something that you can write into policy. All of those things have their place, and I'm not trying to throw them off as unimportant. But listen to me right now. They aren't God's design for loneliness. They aren't God's design to answer the question of social loneliness in your life. God himself designed and designated an answer to be a part of your redemption. And hear me right now when I give you the answer. It may sound cliche. It may be something that you're wanting to be more profound. But listen, here's the answer. The church. I went over exactly how I expected it to. Some of y'all were like, if he says the church, I'm telling you, if he says the church, the church. I knew he was going to say the church. 
You need the church. You need the church. You need the church. You don't just need it on Easter. You just don't need it on Christmas. You don't just need the church on Friends Day. You need the church. I need the church. I need to be connected more than once or twice a month. I need to be connected more than just on a Sunday or a quick text message. I need the community that God has designed for my life to be a part of. I need to be intricately connected and a part of the church. Don't let me get ahead of myself right now. Maybe that bothers you. You say, man, I didn't want that answer, but you gave it anyway. Maybe you're rolling your eyes. If that's the case, just hear me out as I'm about to end this message. Hear me out right now. I won't be much longer. And let me tell you what the church is not. Maybe this will help. Let me tell you what the church is not. The church is not a social club. That's not what I'm talking about. The church is not a knockoff version of positive psychology. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the church. The church is not a fake place where everyone pretends to be okay when they're actually not okay. The church is not a place full of perfect people. That's not what the church is. And hear me right now, uh, even though this is society's idea, the church is not a place that you gather on a Sunday. That's not what it is. That's not what I'm telling you the answer is. Yes, we come here on a Sunday, and I'm thankful for the church, and I just did a Try 5 challenge, but here's the reason. The reason that you need the church is in the description that the Bible gives of the church. Because every time the Bible describes the church, it's described as a group of people. Here's what it's called. It's called a fellowship. It's called a family. It's called a body. With many members working together. And hear me, this was Jesus, his favorite description. It's called a flock. We're all in this together, herding together. And how many knows, you ever watch those National Geographic programs, that everybody in the flock is okay, but there's always that one dumb one. Hanging out on the edge, doing his thing. And you're sitting there in your living room and going, buddy, get to the middle of the flock. Because there's a lion that's going to try to get you. He's over there and he's just, his eyes are wild and he's prancing around. And you're like, this, this thing, he's not. Ah. That's some of us. I'm fine. I don't need the church. I can do that. No, you can't. You want to know why you weren't designed that way? You were designed by God to be in connection with a community. And not just any community, a community that's doing something meaningful. What is that? propagating the gospel, the good news, that you don't have to be alone, not just because we're going to be with you, but because Jesus is still the answer. I got the prescription for loneliness. You need connection with God, and you need connection with others. You need connection with God in relationship, but you need to get into a life group and be a part of something that's so important. It'll, It'll preserve you. It'll keep you. Being a part of the church is the remedy for loneliness. Jesus gave us one another. The Bible says he gave us each other as gifts. You're a gift to my life, the Bible says. You build me up. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that I'm around, and they're not in the church, and they're certainly not building me up. There's a lot of people that are tearing me down. 
And that's what changes. That's what's different about the church is we are given as gifts one to another. And we are members in one body. And the blood flows through one member to the next. And it's powerful and it's needful. It's what God has prescribed you so that you can remedy the loneliness in your life. Don't discount it. I know that sometimes you think, really, the church, it feels cliche. I get that culture has made people have such a bad taste in their mouth for religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about positive psychology. I'm talking about getting connected to a body of believers. It will change you. It'll keep you. It will preserve you. It'll build you up. You need this. That's why every week you're going to hear the same two announcements. Hi, I'm Devin Akers. I'm going to get, oh, here he goes again. You know what he's going to talk about, don't you? Stello Steps and Life Groups. Every week I'm going to do the same thing. You want to know why? Because Stello Steps is the on-ramp to involvement in the church. And it's powerful because we talk about the church. We talk about the vision. We talk about the values. But in step two, we also do a personality profile and a spiritual giftings profile because God has given you talent. I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. You are talented. You are anointed. You do have something that only you can do in the church that God is calling you to. We want to discover that so that you can fulfill your purpose in the church. And then I'm going to drive home. Get a part. Be a part of a life group. You got to get into a life group. You got that picture? This was my house Friday night. Y'all ready for this? Friday night. This is my Emilio sent me this. I I know. I I can tell that y'all are like, well. That doesn't look like that much fun. We had a ball. You see that trampoline? I got it. You know what? I, I know. White trash. I don't care. I'll say it. Y'all like, you got a shed and a trampoline. Who is this guy? I, ain't no shame in my game. You know what's funny? I got That's one of four sheds on my property. I don't care. No joke. That's the truth. That's the truth. We do rent it. It wasn't all, but I I will say this. I enjoy it, okay? I enjoy it. I'm having fun. I'm with my friends. Our kids were going crazy. They were swinging on swings. They were jumping on trampolines. And and I'll tell you what Grant is looking at right there. He's looking at the the projector screen shining on on the big screen, and we were watching Despicable Me. And if you're holier than me and you don't watch Despicable Me, we'll change the movie when you come over to my house. We'll watch The Chosen if that's what you need. Whatever, whatever floats your boat, we'll, we'll accommodate you. Well, there's a couple things I want you to understand about this picture. Number one, uh, if you look and zoom in, this is my favorite part. I actually screen, Diamond is standing like the Grinch. Jim Carrey's the Grinch. I did enjoy that. That was my favorite part. All right, go back to the first picture. I did need to show everybody that Diamond was standing like the Grinch. My man was cold. He said, I left my jacket in Charlotte, okay? He's just... like third trimester this man (laughs) here's what I want you to know the man who took this picture drove an hour to be there hour and 20 minutes actually Emilio he drove an hour and 20 minutes to be there when he got there he said pastor (sighs) it's been a long week tired still smiling though he said he leaned he leaned over to me though as he was sitting in his lawn chair he said but I need this I need to be connected to other people. 
And we sat there, and I thought, this man drove an hour and 20 minutes because he understands the value of being connected to others. By the time the night was out, my wife and his wife were planning his 50th birthday. I know that's mind-boggling that that man is 50 years old, but December 16th, we're going to party. We'll have a good time. Why? These are my people. And let me just tell you what a life group will do. It'll take you from being I, you, to being us and we. And that's what you need. That's what I need. And let me just tell you, these aren't closed off. Well, it looks like you've already got your friends. No way. No way. Guess what? I didn't know Emilio like six or seven months ago. Now he's become one of our greatest friends here at Stello Church. Emilio and Prisma are at my house hanging out. That happens every week. At the same time that this was happening, our young people and young adults were at a Durham Bulls game hanging out together. We need each other. I was not called to do life alone. And so I am going to be enriched, empowered, and built up by the people that God has placed in my life. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be alone because in that, there's implications. Feel the Holy Ghost here. After, I want to read this to you by a man named David Fenwick. After my wife of 44 years died, he wrote to Reader's Digest. I didn't feel the urge to socialize. He'd been hurt. He'd been hurt by the loss. He'd been hurt by the loss of his wife. But that didn't stop my friend Tony from inviting me to join a group of guys who got together every Thursday night for dinner. I told him I wasn't ready. He called me again the next week. And again, and again, I said no. He kept calling me every week until I finally said, Okay, I'll go. Anything to keep you from calling me every week. It's now been six years since my wife died. And thanks to Tony, I've been going to dinner every week with the gang. We've dubbed Romeo. Retired old men eating out. I read that, I thought, man, that's a life group right there. I mean, I'm not ready to start that yet. But one day, Amelia's going to beat me there. because That's what it looks like. It's a lifeline for you. A life group is a lifeline. It's a system. I get that. You go, man, you're all about life groups. If life groups didn't work, we would create a system that did, that did accomplish the value of community. But at this iteration of our church, and probably for a long time, this is a beautiful way to get us connected together because we understand I was not designed to do life alone. God designed us to need each other. Research dating back to the 1970s suggests that people with weaker social networks actually die younger due to any cause of death let that sink in any cause of death that you can think of is impacted by being alone here's what it says a more recent review of 148 studies concluded that on average having stronger social ties increased the likelihood of an individual's overall survival by as much as 50 percent You weren't designed to do life alone. One of my favorite depictions of this is Mark chapter 2. The Bible says that there's a man. He's paralytic. Can I get my guys to help me here? Have you come to the front? What's paralytic mean? It means he's paralyzed. And because he's paralyzed, he can't move. But he gets the news that Jesus is in town. 
And here's what we know about Jesus. You can take that off there, Kenson. Jesus heals people. And we've got a friend that's paralyzed. He needs help. But he can't get himself to Jesus. One of the words that are most often associated with mental health issues is paralyzed. You ever notice that? I was paralyzed with fear. I was paralyzed with anxiety. I was so depressed I could not get out of bed. You've heard that? Because when our mind gets in that place where we're hurting, we're paralyzed. We're paralyzed with fear. We're paralyzed in, in, in our spirits. And that's this man was physically paralyzed. But guess what? The Bible says he had four good friends. And they said, hey, did y'all hear about Jesus? And I would just dare to say, probably four pretty buff friends. These have been hitting the gym. And what they did is they said, all right, we're going to pick him up. We're going to take him. And the Bible says that they tore the roof off the place. Why don't y'all pick him up and take him where he needs to go? He can't move. But four good friends can take him where he needs to go. Go ahead, walk around with him. Take him where he needs to go. Grant can't move. But here's the cool thing. He's got some good friends that can get him to Jesus. And isn't it amazing? I don't know. Maybe it's one of those chicken and the egg things. But people say, man, I found Jesus and I found I found the greatest group of friends. Others say, what are y'all chatting about? You can't talk either, Grant. That would, that would be paralyzing for Grant, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I got, I got, I got, here's where people say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've got Jesus and then I got friends or if I found friends and then they helped me find Jesus. There's probably a few different stories. But here's what I know. You need both. You need both. You need good friends who will pick you up and will carry you to God, who will carry you to the cross, who will bring you to an altar, who will say, hey, you can't just, you do you doesn't work. That's lonely. That's isolation. And it will paralyze you with fear.